Praise the Lord. Thank you, Richard. Welcome, everyone. Praise God. If you haven't got one of the folders with the nasty face of the bad wife at it, please get one. And you're also going to need a second sheet and a pen. So you're going to need to take notes as we do this first session. Just to explain what I'm going to do, I'm going to record and talk for about one hour about the issue of choice in marriage. Then we're going to break for food. And then we're going to come back in and discuss everything that we've been talking about. So if you have any questions whatsoever, write them down and I'm sure you will have. Um, Let me first of all say about the subject of choice and marriage, you could ask yourself, what is there to know? (laughs) What is there to know about choice and marriage? I, I had been teaching on marriage for a long time, for several years. I'd actually written two books on marriage. And I was in um, Romania and I was doing a three-day conference, a very large conference, about 300 people for three days. And at the end of that time, I asked if anybody had any questions. And just about everybody had questions. So there was an enormous queue and I sat at a table and I was overwhelmed at the end of those questions because guess what the number one question was? Choice and marriage. How do I choose? And it was like getting hit by a steam train. I realized that even though I had covered many things on dating, on marriage and sex and everything else, I had omitted one huge issue. How on earth do I choose someone? And so I added a couple of chapters to what's love got to do with it. And since then, I've still been working on the ology, the science of choice. Because that's, to be honest, where I'm getting to. I'm beginning to think that this is a real science in and of itself. So please listen up like you've never listened before. Please reconsider their doubts and your fears from over the years. Let me give you an example. Put your notes down one second. Just put them to the side. I want you to cross your arms. Everybody cross your arms. Okay? Now do the opposite way. Cross them the opposite way. Ah, you see. Now, you see, for all your life, you have subconsciously been making a choice. And you've only fold, you know, fold your arms one specific trait way. And that is called a subliminal choice. And you grew up with it. The trouble is, when it comes to choosing a marriage partner, our family, our culture, we can't afford not to be in control of that situation. You with me? This is something that requires enormous care, enormous wisdom and insight. Before we start, I want to say, I want to say this. Please listen to me. There are a lot of married people waking up this morning wishing they weren't married. Amen. (laughs) I'll say amen if you're too frightened to say amen. There's a lot of married people waking up this morning and they wish they weren't married to the person they were married to. They regret it. They're not happy. If you did my job, you would realize that that is also true. There's a lot of married people who love to put on a such a good public presentation. Oh yeah, don't they look happy? 
And as single people, one of the advantages for me is having been single and then been in a happy marriage and then being single again, I'm not fooled. I am not fooled one little bit. Not one little bit. I am not in a hurry to not be single. I'm not in a rush. And so I repeat, there are many, many married people waking up this morning wishing with all their heart that they were in your position. Hallelujah. (laughs) So don't rush. I warn you that you can, as a lonely, because there is loneliness, you can, as a lonely single person, sit and watch. Let me give you an example. A husband and wife come to church on Sunday. Maybe you're sitting a few rows back. And the husband leans over and puts his arm around his wife. And you think, oh, that's so sweet. This is my opinion. I'm not going to put a percentage on it, but a very high percentage of the time when I see that in church, there's a problem in that marriage. Oh, yeah. I've always known that because I can sense it Happily married couples very often don't have nothing to prove. Nothing to prove. Unless it's a tactile culture. Some cultures like the Brazilians here on Sunday, on Saturday nights, they're a very tactile people. So that's fine and it's quite normal for them to do that. I'm not judging that in any way. But experience has taught me to watch, especially when I'm preaching and you watch different things happen and you can read between the lines. One night... This is a true and very sad story. One night I was preaching in a church in a certain city. And a husband was sitting there and he just reached over and put his arm around his wife. Now, now this wasn't a prophetic word. It was just after years of dealing with this. I didn't say it, but in my spirit I thought, I think I'll give that marriage about six months. Yeah, it's just what, just what crossed my mind, not my spirit. So I left it at that. The meeting finished. And in that church, there's a window that looks out on the car park. I saw the same couple walk to the car, swinging hand in hand. And I thought to myself, just again, my own mind, yeah, about six months. That's what I thought. I was wrong. It was about eight months. And I sat with that man, actually, on an airplane. Before he got divorced, And I warned him of how I was feeling. And he was silent, you know, because he put on such a good display. So don't be fooled by what you see. People are great actors. Just in this last little while, I know one couple, and if you saw them, they're always touching one another, always holding hands, very affectionate, but they don't have sex. And you could look at them, and I'm sure many people do, and say, how sad it is for me to be single, You not knowing that all the time, that's what they do in public. But actually, behind closed doors, they're totally dysfunctional sexually. I know another guy. I'm so sad that all these are true. So sad. I know another couple. um, And she's a great looking girl. He's an excellent guy. But when they invited me in and I began to work in their marriage, I was shocked to find out No sex. Nothing's happening. The whole thing's broken down. So I just want you to get real. Don't believe Facebook. The more stuff, 
The, the more trouble a marriage is in, the more eager they are to post, 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 post. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a cry for help in some ways. So don't be fooled. And depending on the culture, especially when families move overseas, like say we've got the Nepalese, we've got the Sri Lankans, we've got Ghanaians, we've got Chinese. When the family are back home and a couple are in this country, they want the family back home to see certain representations on Facebook. Correct? That's what happens. And they go a long way. Now I say all this so that you don't get... Um, self-pity or overly sorry for yourself? Am I more sorry for married people than single people? <laughs> to be honest, I don't know. Um, it, it's, it's something to think about, guys. Today's topic is choice and marriage. And I repeat, I have changed my mind completely on this topic. For me, choice is now an ology. It's become a science. Let me explain what I mean. Is materialism affecting my choice? What do I mean by that? I, like you Richard, I travel all over the world. And when I travel, I get a lot of air miles. So I go, not business class, but I'll end up in executive lounges. I get very well treated, not as well treated as he does, but well treated. And our senior pastor gets business class, gets first class all over the world because he flies nonstop. Now, about two years ago, he gathered us as RMDs and he said this, and it really affected me. He said he no longer chooses to fly business. He no longer, even though he's got the miles, he gets it for free. And he said, if one of the members comes, because he's got lots of rich members, comes and says, Pastor, I'm going to pay for you to do business class for the rest of your life. He said, he will say no. Because he has come to understand, this is, in terms of finance, this is the wisest man I have ever met. Hundreds of millions of pounds in the kingdom, right? Hundreds of millions. So this guy's no fool. And he says, I am no longer flying business. I'm not, because when I sit in the posh seat and I'm served and I'm treated like something I'm not, it creates a psychology. It creates a mindset within me. And I bring that into the church. I bring it into my relationships. Does materialism affect choice? Yes. It affects your choice. And if I'm not careful, I'm always looking for the latest iPhone. I'm always looking for the you know, latest thing, whatever that might be. Yes, it will affect my choices. If I see things as a material benefit to me, whether it's my phone or my handbag or my clothes or whatever it is, then if I'm not careful, that's going to overtake me. And I'm going to use the same attitude to human beings and to people. So be careful on this first point. Secondly, we live in an age of novelty. Does novelty affect my choice? Now, you know what I mean by that is something can be introduced to the market. And iPhone's a good example because that company leads the way in this. Five months later, there's another one out and the novelty factor is gone. And we need to be careful that a relationship is not a novelty, not just something that is a new fad, a new trend. 
Somebody is a little bit quirky or a little bit different, and this is part of the culture and the age in which we live. The novelty factor does affect, if I'm not careful, my choices. And then you've got the last one in terms of trends or culture, modern culture. You've got consumerism. We live in a disposable age. Disposable razors, disposable everything. So same principle. Once I get used to buying things and throwing them away, once that becomes my psychology, I've just got to be incredibly careful that I don't bring that into my relationships. You begin to see how pervasive the problem of choice is, right? And how subliminal it is. Scripture is fascinating at every level, but one of the most fascinating aspects of the Bible for me is the overview. When you get like a, what are those things that fly in the air called? (laughs) Drone. When you get a drone perspective of the Bible, you rise above it, you see some very surprising things. And one of the things you see is the amount of advice given to men is four times as much as women, right? So the Bible says four times as much to men as it does to women. However, keep listening. When it talks about uh, bad wives, the Bible says an enormous amount in comparison to bad husbands, right? An enormous amount. There are many, many references to bad women and bad wives. And that's why I entitled this, um, could I have one of those sheets there? That's the, the individual one. That one. Thanks, Janet. Could you give her another one there, please? Thank you. That's why I entitled this seminar the way I did. If you get the, the individual sheet called Choice in Marriage, it's on its own. Just get a hold of that individual sheet. In terms of the bad wife, I need to listen up to an enormous amount of scripture that tries to advise me on this subject. Most Proverbs, for example, are only quoted once, right? Only mentioned once. But when it comes to a bad wife, (laughs) it's mentioned multiple, multiple, multiple times. So obviously this is an issue, right? Proverbs chapter... Are you getting frightened already? (laughs) Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. What are you laughing at? (laughs) Upstairs, there's a little room, right? Imagine if we give you the keys and we say to you, you're going to live in there for the rest of your life. Not a very nice thought. It would be better, according to Scripture, it would be better for you to live in the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. What do you He's all saying yes. (laughs) Previous experience. Okay. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 19, same thing. Better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Now, I've been to several deserts, and I can tell you they are very unpleasant places. It is horrible. You do not want to... It is better to be there. Better to be there. Now, that's an extreme comparison. God's trying to make a point. And it doesn't stop there. Proverbs 25, 24, Proverbs 27, 15. On and on it goes, warning us about the dangers of choosing someone, of marrying someone who is quarrelsome or argumentative or disagreeable. 
Can two walk together unless they be agreed? Someone who's disagreeable. So I, I would advise all men to think very, very long and hard about this advice. And I would advise all women to consider your ways. Consider your ways. What is your personality like? What is your character like? Two different things. Is this you? Is this describing you? Well, if you want a godly man and he's got a Bible and he reads these scriptures, (laughs) he's not going to be knocking your door. So you cannot, we'll come to how God corrects this in a moment. But be very careful of women. That's what the Bible basically says. Men, be very careful of women. Now, eyes forward, please. Look at me. Imagine we have in this room 40 men and 40 women. There will always be one woman who walks in and she gets everybody's attention. There's always one. For some reason. Maybe she's got a fantastic body. Correct? And she will get the attention of, in some cases all, in some cases most, of the, of the men in the room just by her body, if they're not wise. It will happen. Maybe she's got a great, bubbly, fun personality. She will get attention. Okay? Now, the Bible talks about this and tries to educate us about it. In Proverbs, we all know this scripture. Charm is deceptive, it says, and beauty is vain or beauty is fleeting. That girl, I mean, I want you to picture that girl. Picture someone you know who's in that category. When they enter the room, they become, they get the favor of the men. That's what they get. They get the favor, they get the attention of the men. Do you know what scripture refers to that woman as? Charming. Now, we today use that word for men, but the Bible uses it in terms of the woman and it calls her charming. And it says that that type of woman is deceptive. So when she enters the room and everybody's paying attention to her, whatever is going on there is deceptive. And the word deceptive means basically you're not going to get what you think you're going to get. She's a deceiver. She's offering something. She's portraying something that is actually not going to be there in the end. It warns you in the same verse, actually, in Scripture. It warns you, be advised that beauty is vain. Beauty is fleeting and beauty is vain. Be incredibly careful of it. Some years ago, I wrote this book. It's nothing to do with relationships. However, this is a book about the Ten Commandments called Joy Unspeakable. And one of the chapters, chapter 2 in this book, deals with this word. What does vain mean? What does it mean? Well, uh, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I want to know what what God... I'm a man, and God warns me that beauty in, in a woman is vain. What does that mean? What does it mean? I'll tell you what it means. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What that means is the lost man takes the name of the Lord as trash. He has no value for it, right? It's just worthless to him. And what that scripture is telling me, look at the way they treat the name of the Lord. I want you, man, to have the same attitude to beauty in a woman. I want you to see it of no value. Do you get the point? 
That's what God's saying. Treat beauty as trash. Treat beauty as something that's skin deep and has no lasting consequence. Beauty is vanity. And I could give you a thousand warnings here. A friend of mine many years ago, she's a very beautiful girl. Her name was Diane. And she ended up going out with a friend of mine. We were in a large group of multiple, it was crazy days I had for part of my life, I can tell you. But Diane was a classy girl, very nice girl, incredibly attractive. And I was a good friend. She married my best friend. She had a baby. And I will never forget going to her house about a year and a half after she had the baby because she looked absolutely dreadful. (laughs) I thought, what did that baby do to you? She had, it was, I mean, she could be sued under the Trades Descriptions Act. She was, it was a different human being. Everything had changed. What was once classy was now chaotic. I mean, it, it was, it, that's probably, for me, one of the first wake-up calls about this and how fleeting it is. Now, I can also, I could talk for a few hours <laughs> on this point, I can tell you, because if you let beauty, outward beauty, drive your choice, you're going to get in trouble. Right? Now, my wife, I loved my wife. Okay? And let me tell you this. Listen to this. (laughs) I was walking through a park one day and God spoke to me and he said, you loved her. Well, that's a silly statement. What kind of a statement's that? I have many words from the Lord, you know, and I I know what to do with those things. I was busy that day, I remember, but I kept that word and I wait until an appropriate time. And I took the word when I had time, space and devotion and come back to God. Now, what does that mean? You loved her. I know I loved her. That's obvious. And as I sat, it began to, the revelation started to come. And it's almost, these are my words, but it's almost like God said to me, a man will say he loves Peter, but he doesn't. A human being will say they love this, but they don't. But from God's perspective, I say you loved her. Wow just shocked me. I thought, that is fantastic. Now, I say that because of this. I did not love my wife because of her beauty, and she got incredibly sick, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health. And all her skin fell from her body. She was literally skin and bone. And I still loved her. In fact, I was very proud to take her out in the wheelchair. (laughs) You be very careful that someone is not attracted by your beauty and that you are not driven by beauty because eventually, many times when she was very sick, I used to look after, she couldn't understand what I was saying, but many times I used to whisper as I was looking after her and I I would simply say this, you should be very glad that you married me (laughs) because I don't know who's still going to be around at this stage of the game. I really don't. And you don't know, could you get yourself some notes from the table? You don't know either what life is going to throw at you. So I warn you and I counsel myself, be very careful. Beauty is vain. 
Charm is deceptive. And these women are in all our churches. They're in all our company. Deceptive. The word deceptive means a woman can be presenting something to you that you're not going to get. That's what it is. Charm is deceptive. Women can be deceptive. Pre-marriage. It's not me saying this. Read the scriptures. And I look back again. Excuse me for using my own marriage, but it's the only thing I've got. When I look back, I, I, I proposed to Jeanette and I believed that she was going to offer me happiness, intimacy, that I would be able to tell her anything. That's important to me. Not important for everyone. It's okay. We're all different. But I need transparency in my relationships. I like that. And if, if a woman can't handle that, it's not for me. It doesn't work for me. Um, so I want happiness. I wanted true intimacy. I wanted her to help me. Help me. Do this, that, and the other. Above all, I wanted prayer. I wanted her to be a prayer warrior. And I wanted sex. Five times a day. No, just joking. So, I wanted, I had certain things that I had expectations for those things. Right? And I will say that she was not a deceiver. Hallelujah. And you need to be careful of the expectations make a very slow choice. Is it beauty that's attracting me? Is it charm that's attracting me? Be careful because you're going to get stung. So that's the bad wife. And all the warnings and there's countless warnings that go with it. What about the good wife? Scripture also has... Sorry, let me just conclude that first opening point, the introduction. So scripture, in terms of the, your choice for marriage, scripture says this, be careful of materialism because it's going to affect your choice. Be careful of consumerism. It's going to affect your choice. Be careful of a novelty culture or a novelty attitude to life and things. It's going to affect your choice. Be very careful of beauty. Be very careful of vanity. And be careful of charm in any person. We need more than those things. Now the Bible says a noble wife or a good wife, listen carefully, the Bible says a noble wife or a good wife who can find. Now, I mean, just pause a moment and think about that. A good wife who can find. Do you know what that means? Good women are rare. It is easier to find a pretty girl than it is to find a godly girl. There are more pretty girls than godly girls. Now, this is not my opinion, and I'm not asking you for your opinion. I'm quoting scripture. A good wife is hard to find. A good wife, scripture says, who can find? And I want you to think for a moment about the word find. Whose responsibility is it to find? Your responsibility to find. And around this world, I'm telling you, there's a lot of people who pray themselves to oblivion to find a partner when God actually in the first instance puts that in your department, not his department. So if you lock yourself away and you spend 10 years praying, I've been praying, why have I not found? The only thing you're going to, you need to get out and see people. You need to get out and meet people so that you can find the right person. 
the only thing you're going to see in your prayer closet are angels and visions. Okay? So you need to get into the real world where there are real people and it is your responsibility to find. Right? And be sensitive in your spirit. I'm not saying God's not involved. I'll come to that in a moment. But I want you to accept the fact that in the first instance, it is your responsibility to search and find. Ladies and gentlemen, in my opinion, this is the biggest mistake. This is the number one mistake being made by those who are struggling still being single because they're not aggressive enough in the search. They st- knock and keep on knocking. Right? Ask and keep on asking to that person the door opens. And people have become super spiritual, hyper spiritual, and somewhat complacent, abdicating. It's not just in this topic or this area, but in many areas of life. God never, you know, the transformation of the mind, right? We've said this many times. God doesn't change your mind, right? That's your job. Yeah? Therefore, you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the same way, the same principle applies here. A good wife, and you can take it for husband. A good husband who can find. So let's think a moment about how do we find? (laughs) You can find, you can search yourself, right? For a wife or husband. Others can help you. I've got no problem with that. Other people can help you. Why would others help me? Well, because you are in this room right now. You're looking at the people in this room. But there's other people who know you. And they're with other people. And because they know you, they pray for you, maybe they'll see someone. And God could bring that as a blessing, right? So other people, don't, be, don't shut that off. You can find. Others can find. The nasty old devil can find. Right? Oh, yeah especially, I warn you, especially if God starts to get in the picture, the devil's probably going to show up. So if God starts to bring you the right person, his choice, his first choice for you, the devil's probably going to start presenting at the same time his choice. So you have multiple ways of finding a partner, finding a partner in life. Now let me get theological here and maybe a little bit deep. Marriage is a choice. So it's over to you. God's not going to force you. There are individuals in Scripture like Hosea. Remember Hosea? God told Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. Remember that? And people will say, well, that means he took away Hosea's free will. No, Hosea didn't have to obey the word. So right up until Hosea married that woman, he didn't have to marry her. But God had told him, this is what I want you to do, but he didn't have to obey. So free will still remains. I want you to listen really carefully because this is a point I want you to take home. You have free will. Well, let me start like this. God has free will, right? God can do whatever he wants. In his free will, he has chosen to give you free will. That's his choice. In the same way, so now you have Free will to choose whether you get married or not and to choose who you marry. That was God's choice to create me this way. In the same way, I as a single person have the same freedom. So I can use my free will 
to go back to God and say, God, I surrender my free will on this issue. And I give you that issue. And I ask you to make a choice for me. Present that choice to me. And then the same rule applies. God may show you someone. I want you to marry this person or that person. The same rule applies. Your free will still exists. So even though God says it's Mrs. A, Mr. B, right up until you walk down the aisle, you still have the chance to get out of the thing. Are you with me? So I would advise many singles to think about a serious time. Uh, You know my story. I'm very happily married. My wife died. I'm not looking for any partner. I'm not looking for anyone because I need to grieve for a suitable time. And that time, I will decide by my spirit. So when I felt that time was over, having understood these things, I decided... (laughs) I decided to go with this one. Because having seen the choices and having seen endless bad choices... I realize how, how we can mess up. Realize that I am human. I realize how dangerous this can be, though I'm not against it. And I gave God back my choice. That's my choice. And I ask him to make it clear for me, make it obvious to me. Now, in, in some way, if you can remember Adam and Eve, that was a presentation, right? That was a presentation of God. God created Adam and he said... It's not good. It's not good for this man to be alone. So he put Adam into a deep sleep. And then he reaches into Adam, remember? And he takes out the rib and he creates Eve. Now, follow the sequence here. Adam's been sleeping. So he didn't see what happened. (laughs) He doesn't know what's just gone on. And Adam wakes up and he sees Eve. And instantly he says, that's it. (laughs) That's her. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? So Adam instinctively knew when he saw his life, he knew. When he saw his life partner, he knew that's the woman who compliments me. Are you with me? So in the same way, our partner should be someone we recognize within ourselves as a complementary being to who we are. Complementary in nature, and I'll come back to that in a moment. So I want you to think about how is your search going? What techniques are you using? How are you going about this? And maybe to think again. Maybe have a thought about the good, the bad, and the ugly of that process and educate that process. The Bible also gives some advice about what a good wife is. And what a good wife isn't. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 4. It's on your notes actually at the bottom of the page there. I've given you the scripture. I've printed it out. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even of any of them are disobedient to the word, that they may be won over by your good behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, the braiding of the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality, look at this, of a gentle and quiet spirit. So when God talks to the man, 
about the type of wife he should choose. He's saying, I want you to choose a woman who has a gentle and quiet spirit. The book of Proverbs says this, the woman folly is loud. The woman folly is loud. And a loud woman may be a bit of fun. A loud woman may be the life and soul of the party. But there's a warning that comes with that woman. The woman folly has a lot to say for herself. She's loud. But the woman of one Peter is gentle and quiet in spirit. And I would add many other attributes there. She is submissive, godly, supportive, and many other things. So you need to think about those qualities and think about are you Am I, as a man, displaying the biblical qualities for a male? And are the women that I am attracted to, what are they like? Some people are, you know, repeatedly attracted to the wrong type of guy, abusive men. Or some men are attracted to the wrong type of woman. Isn't that true? Repeated relationships. My gym instructor yesterday, he's a very nice guy. I really like him. We have fun together and he's just excellent. But he knows what I do because one of the... Other instructors has read What's Love Got to Do With It in the gym. And they were both together uh, a couple of days ago. So when he met me, I felt so sorry for him. When he met me yesterday, I could see the, the desire in his face for a relationship. He's single. Now he's a gym instructor. He's, he's, he's fit. He's healthy. Good looking guy. 30 something. And he just completely changed when he started talking about this yesterday. And he, he turned to me and he said... All my relationships are a disaster. And I could see the hurt on his face. Everything I do is a disaster. And I started talking to him about choice and about making wise choices. Now, he's my teacher. I tell you what, he wasn't teaching me then. Talk about role reversal. He just completely dived into the moment. I could see the starvation. Help me! What's wrong with me? All my relationships are a mess. What's wrong with me? And I just started, we, 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 we talked. It's a sad world, isn't it? I was at an airport, and I'll just mention this while we're passing this point. I was at an airport, and I had, you know, sometimes they put your bag apart for a drugs test. They swab your bag. My bag went out for a drugs test. And I was doing a Life After Love conference, this book. And this woman, she was miles away. She just took a little swab thing. She opened my bag and she saw this book. And she swabbed it like that. She said, what's that? She said, what's that there? I said, That's the, uh, is it you? I said, yes, it's me. I, it's, a, it's a conference. I'm going to it. It's on marriage. Instantly, I could see the pain. And she swabbed, put the thing in. On marriage, is it? Do you help people? Yeah, I help people on marriage. She said, can I have that? I said, No. <laughs> Yeah, but I said it's the only one. It's the only one I've got. I'm just telling you the truth, <laughs> Richard. Recover. I said no. I'm going to a conference. It's the only one I've got. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but I, 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 my point was, <laughs> she was so sad. She was so brokenhearted. Hallelujah. <laughs> Another time, maybe I shouldn't tell these stories. <laughs> Another time I was having dinner, this 5.99 meal thing. What is it? Do I, do I look like someone you can come and tell about your problems or something? I was having this dinner in this restaurant. Um, it hadn't arrived yet. And the restaurant was empty. 
And this waitress came over. She brought my meal to the table. She put it down. And she looked at and she just leaned back and she said, do you ever want to feel like you want to end it all? <laughs> I think, um, what? Do you ever feel like you want to end it all? I live with a horrible person. Everything's fallen apart for me. I thought, well, um, uh, and I was thrown into confusion, actually. What I said to her was, I'm going to go home because I wasn't comfortable in the situation. I'm going to go home and get my wife and we'll come back. And I did come back, but she was gone. Um, but it's a sad, I'm just saying, there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of people, not just us, in desperation on relationships. This world is so messed up. 40, what is it, 53% of marriages end up in divorce. And all of them, 100% of people who get married don't think they're going to get divorced. 100%. They all think it will never happen to me. And I've had the terrible sadness to sit with divorcees when it's happening. The great sadness to sit with couples when they're just going to get divorced or they're being told that their partner is leaving. And every single person says the same words. I didn't see this coming. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I didn't believe this would happen us. Not us. Not you and me. So to, to say that we need education on this subject is an understatement. We need extreme caution today because you may not be materialistic, but the person you are attracted to might be. You may not be driven by novelty, but they might be. So it's not just you. You're not just making an assessment for yourself. It's a double-way thing. Each person has a double responsibility to analyze what, you're, what, you know, what are you doing and why. And what are the motivations that I have? And what are the motivations of the person who's saying yes to me? And be slow in that. I'm going to throw out a few points that I want to bring back to discussion after we have some food in a moment. These may be new to you, but I just want to bring them up as a point of interest that has come to me quite recently. Argument number one and argument number two with, with regards to singles and getting married and dating and all that kind of thing. Let me explain this. My father got married when he was 40 and he died when he was 96, okay? which means he was married for 56 years. That's an incredibly long marriage, amen? Fantastic marriage. Me, I'm 53. Listen carefully. So that means if I get married today, if I live as long as my father, even at 53, I could be married for 43 years. Wow. So I'm not in a hurry to make a decision. And I, my wife died recently, as you know, and many people say, oh, you need to do, I don't need to do anything. Would you say a 43-year marriage is a long marriage? It's a very long marriage. And my dad was healthy. So I don't care if you're 50, 60, you can still live another 20 years. And a lot of singles, when they get to 40, they think it's all over. People are living longer and longer and longer, and they are healthier and healthier and healthier. So if my dad was 96, what will I be? Probably about 156. Hallelujah. <laughs> so... This is probably going to rise and rise and rise. He was quite, uh, you know, very, very well, actually, up until about three or four months before he died. So he was in good, especially his mind, very, very normal and cognizant right to the end. 
So that's my first argument. Don't write yourself off because you're 35 or 45 or 55. Don't, you're making a mistake. You can still have a long... Many people get married at 50, have children, and they can live to see not just their children, but their children's children. So think again. That's the first argument. Now let me completely contradict that argument with the next argument. Because I want you to see both sides of the coin. The World Health Organization has recently, two years ago, released the statistics that 68.5 is the average age for males, men dying in the world. Now, when I stated that here in this church, I had two people come to me instantly and say, you're wrong, it's 72. I said, no, you're wrong. I said the World Health Organization, I didn't say the UK. In the UK, it's higher, but you need to understand what I'm saying and why I'm saying it. Many of our people come from other nations. And they come with genetics from those nations. And so you need to look at this statistic if you're an international company, because this is the one that matters. Okay? So... 68.5. Let's go back to me again. I'm 53. If I go by this statistic, I'm going to be dead in 15 years. Not 43. You get my point? So this is an average. This is also an average. So I need to somewhere meet between these two truths. Very often in life, that is the truth. It is a balance between two things. And these two things, I want you to think about your own health. I take my health very seriously. Right? Not just psychologically, my mental health, but also my physical health. You are probably going to live a long life. And can I say this? I say, say, don't be in a hurry to get married. If I'm 53 today and I live as long as my father, I don't want to live with someone I don't want to live with for 43 years. Yeah? And some people are just desperate. I'll just make a decision not realizing times have changed, health has changed, and you're going to live a long time, right? And if you're younger, heavens above. Oh, Jesus, help me. Oh, Lord, help me. When I see them today, and they're 25, and they're walking down the aisle, 35, 45, 55, 65, 75, 85, 95, that is 70 years with the same person. 70 years with the same person. That is a long time. That is a long time. So you need to be incredibly slow with this decision. My advice to you is to accept both of these arguments, accept both of them. I see this as reality, therefore I look after my health. I see this as almost prophetic and in my family tree, my genealogy is good. Both my parents had good genes and all that. And so somewhere in the middle of this, I I can make a wise and sensible long-term decision. But it is a long-term decision. Let me say a few words about something completely different. I am raising issues that later on, after lunch, we're going to come back and we're going to discuss. So I'll flip these sheets quickly after lunch, and you can throw out questions and issues that may arise in your mind. A few weeks back, we talked about the league concept. He's out of your league. She's out of your league. Have you heard that? Right? 
very common in relationships. I want to talk a little bit about that in a moment, and then, as I say, we'll come back and discuss it later. You know your intelligence level. Everybody has a different IQ, right? Everybody has a different emotional level, right? And we, we decided a few weeks back, I can't remember what the message was or what the topic was, but I will not be constrained by, that, by the world's assessment of me and IQ. I will, I will not be constrained by what they value in emotions. I will have a God quotient, right? I will use God as my measure. And you need to be very conscious of this when it comes about choosing a partner. The world does have a league. She's out of your league. He's out of your league. The world has a league. And I don't want to have any part in it, to be honest. The world's league is based on number one looks. If anybody tells you that that's not a criteria, you're crazy. Looks are a criteria. They matter. And I, I do believe they do matter. I'm not saying they don't matter. They do matter. But not this much. They don't matter this much. The world's league is looks. The world's league is how much money you've got. And the world's league is your education. Oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> Remember everything we've just said about looks, everybody. Remember what we said about looks and the danger of those looks. Beauty is what? Vain and deceitful. So be careful of looks. In terms of education, one church I pastored for a long time had people, very highly educated people in because we worked closely with the local university and stuff. A lot of very well qualified people. Through working with that church, I lost all respect for education. <laughs> oh, I did. Believe me. I had people who were hyper-qualified idiots. Complete fools. You may have six degrees, but you are pathetic in prayer. You are pathetic as a husband. You can't look after your house, your family. You're a disaster. Amen. Amen. It is true. We need to pray for Richard. <laughs> Do not... I'm not saying that education, people always, they hear what I'm not saying. Get yourself an education. Hallelujah. I'm studying night school at the moment. No problem with education, but I do not value it. The Apostle Paul, very clear. He has no respect there. He puts it in its proper place. Get yourself an education, and we, but, but keep it in its place. Be careful of looks. And then the, many, the, the middle one here, money is a driving force in choices. If you have money, people will choose you because of money. Or you may choose people because of money. Money is a factor. And don't let anybody tell you it isn't. It is. It is a factor. And I don't want that to be deceptive for me because people, will, people are great actors. And if somebody wants money... They can be the best actor, Oscar-winning, BAFTA-nominated <laughs> dating thing you'll ever experience in your life because they want the money. Okay? I started dating last year. And one of the first dates I went on, the only reason I went on, on, on the date was out of total curiosity. But I, w I was up front with a girl and I told her, I'm just going to go out. I'm, I told her in advance, I'm going on one date with you and I'm not going to do further. So I told her in advance. These are the conditions. And she said, okay. Now, the reason I said it, and I was, I was, you know, 
clear. It's because I'm fascinated and I want to talk to you because she was so beautiful. She was outrageously gorgeous. I mean, really exceptional, breathtaking. And she wants to go out with me. I'm not, I'm not surprised. <laughs> so I meet her, see, and we're sitting here. And you know the elephant in the room? So after some small talk, I say, how on earth is a girl like you single? I mean, look at you. And how are you single? Do you know what she did? She took her nails and she put them in her face and she pretended as if she was going to pull her face off. She didn't. She was showing me how she felt. She said, I hate my face because my face has ruined my life. Men have always wanted me because I'm so good looking. And they have treated me like rubbish. I hate my looks. I wish I was just an ordinary girl. Sad, isn't it? I didn't continue that relationship. And I'll tell you why I didn't continue it. I gave her some very good advice. But because she was also a money seeker. I can tell. I could read it. Um, There's a lot of very sad people out there. You need to be careful of money. I need to be careful if I've got money. Because money can change my attitude. Money can change my choices. Don't touch that. That's mine. (laughs) I don't like mine. I used to try and forbid Jeanette from the word mine, me, in our finances, in our marriage. But all our I never succeeded in changing her on that. You know that? I, I, I never changed her. If I gave her 20, if she didn't have any cash on, she was going in a shop. Right? And I say, here, there's 20 quid, go and get whatever we need. She would come out and give me the change back. You see? Now that confused me. And I stopped her many times. What, what, wh- whose money is that? That is our money. No, no, it was your twin. No, no, it's our money. What's going on in your mind? And I never succeeded in getting the hour in finances fully established. Now, all couples are different. I understand that. But for me, I like, I like our not mine and yours. Mine and yours. That's not good. Don't know why I said that. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, what's it? Yeah. So, when it comes to these things, money is important. The Bible says a home is built with wisdom. <laughs> now, that's a funny statement because I would have thought the Bible would have said if you've got money, you can buy a home. Or a home is built with bricks. No, I can have money, but I still can't get a home. I can have money, but it doesn't get me anywhere. Scripture says a home is built by wisdom. Wisdom, not money. Okay, so you need to look again at these things. Have I got a biblical take on By the way, someone can be really good looking and godly. I am. No, just joking. Someone can be really good looking and godly. Someone can be rich, very wealthy, and totally godly. The Bible has no problem with that. Um, Abraham, Isaac, Abraham, the wealthiest person in the land, Isaac the same. So, and some get highly educated, they can have all of the above and still be a very godly person. So, don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't avoid these things, but they're not the criteria for my choice. Absolutely not. We're talking about someone being in your league 
or out of your league. So I got saved at 26, okay, just to make this clear. <laughs> so my next illustration was pre-salvation. <laughs> I, I, I was sitting in a nightclub one night with a very, very attractive girl. She was lovely. She's from Kenya. And she was the consummate lady. She was a lady through and through. Every movement she made spoke lady. Now, I was very familiar with that nightclub. I'd gone there for years, and the manager was a dentist, hated me. He passionately hated me. He wasn't there all the time, so I didn't care. But he just had something about me. And I'm sitting with this girl in the nightclub, and he just couldn't hold himself back. So he walks over to my table, you see, and he leans over, and he says, excuse me, I just want to talk to this girl. And he said this, what is a lovely lady like you doing with that? <laughs> Hallelujah! So, you see, he is, where is he coming from? He's coming from a worldly perspective. Now, I am warning you, if you start to try and fit into this, this is not your game. This is not your game. And he can say to me, she is too good looking for you, she's too this. I don't play that game. I'm not under those rules. And if you don't clear this thinking, listen to me now. If you don't clear up this thinking in your mind, it's going to affect your choice. That's my point. You're going to be underselling yourself. You're going to be choosing someone because you think you have to make do because you're using your own looks as a criteria or how much money you've got or education. And none of these things should be your criteria. So I wasn't saved at the time, so I didn't have a ready answer. But at the back of my mind, I was the same person then as I am now in some ways. And I, I could have answered him, I don't care what you think. I'm not, I'm not I will not be measured by your criteria, sir. No way. Right? And that girl was wise. She wasn't using this criteria, right? She, was a, she really was a true lady, an excellent lady. So I challenge you to rethink about the choices you're making and how you're limiting yourself, how you have demeaned yourself. I mean, honestly, did I choose Jeanette because of her looks? No. Did Jeanette choose me because of my looks? Yeah, she did. She did. She did. Hallelujah. Why are you laughing at Henrietta? Hallelujah. <laughs> so, God's league. If it's not looks, money, and education, what is God's league? And how do I assess a man or a woman? What's the criteria I'm working on? Take a look at this list. If you girls are going to choose a man, these are my thoughts. You can agree with them or disagree with them, but these are my thoughts for a man and a woman. For me, the number one thing... In a man, listen carefully, it's not how much money he's got. It's not how much education he's got. Do you know what it is? Where is he going? Vision. Vision. Talk to me about the future. Talk to me about where you're going. But you know what, guys? He may have a nice house now. What if the property market fails? Right? What if he loses his job? 
So really, scripturally, we shouldn't base it on the present as such, although that's not a... a, Let me withdraw that. Um, We shouldn't just make it a criteria. There's a greater thing than that. I want to hear the man's heart. I want to see where we're going. Remember, it's a marriage. It's two people. I want to hear vision. He needs to be a worker. And I mean by that in the kingdom. And he should have a job. Okay? Now, if the kingdom are paying him, a pastor, whatever, that's fine. But he needs to be a worker. It's a biblical criteria in a man. He has to display leadership. Oh, Lord, help us. Of all the marriages, this is probably the big issue. They don't lead. The man won't lead. He's not leading me anywhere. This is the disappointment that most marriages, Christian marriages in my experience, this is the hurdle they fall at. I'll come back to it in a moment and explain why. And of course he should be prayerful. That man should be devoted to God. If he's not devoted to God, he's not going to be devoted to you. Okay? A man will treat God the same way he treats his wife. A man will treat his wife the same way he treats God. Okay? So you just look at how he treats God. That's where you are going. So the the whole God factor, the prayerful factor, if he's devoted in prayer, he probably is going to be a devoted husband. So do not compromise on any of those in choosing a man. In terms of a woman, she should have, scripturally, a gentle and quiet spirit. That doesn't mean she's not strong. You can still be strong. But there should be an inner beauty, a submissiveness there that Scripture recommends. She should be industrious. I don't think there's anything worse on the planet than a lazy woman. A lazy man is bad enough. But a woman who... Oh, yeah, whatever. (laughs) I'm sorry, some cultures, I won't mention any cultures, not one of the cultures here, but one of the other churches I have, all the women sit around talking, the men are doing everything. I told them many times, get a life, girls. What's this? What's this? A woman should be industrious. Amen. She should be, that's Proverbs 31, isn't it? And she should be prayerful. So guys, girls, this is God's league. This is God's league. It's not looks, it's not money, it's not education. This is God's league. This is what you have to offer. So if you are a godly man, you are someone of vision, you are involved in the kingdom, you do have the, don't short sell yourself. Hold out, hold on, wait. You don't need to sell yourself short. If you're a woman and you have a gentle spirit, you've developed that. If you know you're hardworking and you are prayerful, don't just go and throw yourself away. I have lost count of the number of godly women with pathetic husbands. I've lost count. Everywhere you look, a godly woman and then this guy, and you think, what, what, you know, what, how did this happen? How did this come about? Let me skip ahead just one moment and I'll come back because I want, whilst we're on this point, I'll tell you what happened. This is what happened. When you see a godly woman and a husband who does nothing, this is probably the history. Step one, once upon a time, there was a single man and a single woman, but they were immature. And they were both lacking something that they should get from God. So what they did, step two, they found that something in each other rather than in God. Step three, they got married. Step four, after marriage, the woman seeks God. 
And now the woman gets everything she needs from God. Step five, I don't need the man. That's the history of gazillions of marriages around this planet. True or false? 100% true, guys. They lack, look, go back to step one. What's, what's the initiation? What's the beginning of the problem? Two people who are not, fi- who are not making Christ their all in all. They're not mature enough yet to be making this decision. They find in each other what they should only find in God. They foolishly get married and then this is where the woman kicks in. So many times the woman then starts to grow. After marriage, she's disappointed with the leadership of the husband. She starts to seek God. She goes to church. He's still in bed. Right? And she starts growing and then there's, they've got absolutely nothing in common. They've grown in different directions and that home will fall. Right? Sad but true. As we look at tests, and I'm going to conclude with this and we'll have some food and then come back with questions and answers time together in discussion. But let me conclude by just running through a few tests. It's all extensively in your notes anyway, but I'll say it out loud now and you can study it when you go home. Before marrying someone, you should put them through certain tests, certain qualifications. The first one is time. You need to be around someone for time. You need to know them and know them in multiple situations. You know the story, a guy goes out to buy a pear tree. So he goes to the botanical gardens and he says to the guy, can you give me a pear tree? And the guy charges him a fortune and says, here you are, little tiny sapling like this. This is a pear tree. So the guy goes home, plants it in his garden, and some time later, it's not a pear tree. It's a lemon tree. I didn't want lemons. The fruit comes out over time. And you need to spend time around people to see them in multiple circumstances and see what the actual fruit within that person is. You need to have knowledge of them. Ask other people. Ask their pastor. What is this person like? How are they in church? Gain knowledge. They need to be focused, particularly men, need to be focused on the marriage. I like singularity. That's just my base nature. My my brother and I are two completely different people. My brother is a player. He has multiple relationships with multiple women at the same time. That's not for me. I, I like singularity. I like the intimacy of singularity. Relationships are confusing enough without complicating them, right? This is a great thing, I believe. And particularly in the man-girls, if you're out on a date and he's getting a phone call from another girl, find another man, right? Okay, it needs to be singular. You need to feel secure. Don't lie to yourself, right? Don't lie to yourself. If you haven't got a yes in your spirit, that's a no. That's a no. Well, I think maybe I loved the question on camp last year from that guy. It's still in my head now. That was a great question. And the single thing, this guy put his hand up and he said, he was, try, he was thinking, should I marry this girl, you see? So he said, uh, you know, excuse me, I, I've got a problem. I'm thinking maybe I marry this girl, 
but then sometimes I think I'd, maybe I won't. So, and then he started to think, I quite like this, and I, I quite like that. And I said, please don't marry her. Um, as long as you're trying to strive to look for something to like, this is the wrong girl. You're trying to make it up. It's, it's not good. It's absolutely not good. There's no security here. There's no security in, in your emotion, in your feeling, in your heart towards this person. You should have a sense of security. Having said that, when I was walking down the aisle with Jeanette, I still had, I was 99.9% sure. Many couples will tell you they're 100% sure, but I think they're lying because they're too embarrassed to say that they're not 100% sure because that might be hurtful. But for me, I think it's the truth to say that most, if not all people, have a little degree of doubt even when they're walking down the aisle. I did. And the good news that I can tell you is as soon as they performed that ceremony, that was gone. And that, I guess, is the mystery of marriage, as the Bible calls it, because something happened inside me and it was like all gone and I was 100% in. So I say that because if you're walking down the aisle and you feel insecure, it's okay. To a degree. <laughs> to a degree. The man particularly should work. You need to see the person working through problems. Life is full of problems. And you need to see that person, how they handle your friends, how they handle your parents, how they handle your relatives. You need to see them in public situations. A woman should be very respectful of her husband in a public situation. Very respectful. Personally, I would have a zero tolerance policy in that department. Most men will. You just don't get away with that. You need to ha handle the situation of distance if you're going to be apart, especially in today's world when people travel. The test of physical attraction. <sighs> this is more true of women than it is of men. Women go off a cliff at 35. So everything's looking good. <laughs> and then chronology kicks in, gravity takes over, and everything goes south, right? So you need to be very confident that that man, because some men are, some men will choose a woman on this. They will. Some men are like that. And if that's a physical attraction, and that man is no longer getting what he liked, guess what's going to happen there? Find someone else who I find physically attractive. So I'm not saying it's wrong. Physical attraction's fine. No problem. It's a gift from God. And we praise God for it. And be happy with it. But it has its place. Keep it in its place. There should be stability within the relationship. And huge one for me is the sacrifice, particularly from the man. I want to see a sacrificial heart in that guy. He has to be laying down his life for that woman intelligently. Now, I will repeat that was out this week with Antonazio and stuff and talking about this, this particular fact. I used this example. It's a very good example in one counseling session where... A couple of doctors wanted to get married and they called me in the office in the church. I went in and sat down and the man was all lovey-dovey with the girl and she was over the moon. They're going to get married and everything else. And it's a horrible job sometimes in relationships. But I asked that girl to go away for a while, just go upstairs and leave me on my own with him. So as soon as she was gone, I, I just nailed him. And I said, she's a girl, I'm not. I'm a man. 
So you can fool her. You can buy her flowers and you all that stuff. But you do not fool me. You do not have a sacrificial, laid-down life for that girl. In fact, what I said to him was, if you break her heart, I'm going to break your neck. Yeah. So he quit. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's what shepherds do. So he quickly dropped her and moved on. I want to, a man should love his wife like Christ loved the church. Sacrificially. This is a big deal for me. I want to see this. I want to feel it. I want, and even more than see it, I want to feel it. All right? You can sense it. You can sense that sacrifice. Having said all of that as criteria, I want to contradict it all now and say this. Everybody listen carefully. Having said all that, marriage is still a question of intuition. It's my gut feeling. Something inside just says yes, or something inside just says no. And that is that kind of can wipe all of these things. They may be in process. The person may not be perfect. But when your spirit, when your intuition is there telling you yes, that's a big voice for me. It's a big voice. And it will override a lot of these existing problems. By the way, all of these things, can, they're not going to be perfect, right? They're not going to be perfect in a person. The way I put it to someone recently, and this is a great way of putting it, a great line to remember. I said to someone, they were asking me, how do I know if it's the right person? And I, my reply was, because you will know it's the right person when the problems are not a problem. In other words, they still have problems because everybody's got problems. But in this situation, those problems are not a problem. I showed you last Sunday this slide of many marriages that I've done, and one of those was uh, the girl who worked for me in Glasgow. The, uh, I won't mention her name. She had an anger problem. She had a big temper problem. It used to ruin all her relationships, you know. And it was a problem in the church. It never bothered me. I used to kind of keep her under control, and she liked that. But may the Lord help any man trying to control that cookie. <laughs> She's a tough, fiery girl. Um, and that day, when I had that word from the Lord, she was with me. The guy walked in, remember? See, it was what she said to me as well. She turned to me and she said, <clears throat> now he can handle me. I thought, oh, I like that. <laughs> Good, because I believed it. I thought, you're going to need someone to handle you because you can be a wild horse. You're going to need discipline and control. What I liked even more was that he didn't do it with domination. He just kept her some way. That guy, she still had the problem, but the problem wasn't the problem. And it's a good sign that that's a good fit. That's the right relationship for you. If the person has habits or ways that are displeasing, you need to slow down. Slow down. Take your, always tell the truth, right? Tell the, the truth sets you free. Oh, Lord. Ah. Oh, I got some husbands want to just shoot me. They do. I've had it recently. I've had it about two or three times in the last year. Uh, arguments over what I say. <laughs> 
people disagreeing with me because on camp and again more lately I said this some people have married the wrong person and that just drives some people crazy and what they're saying is you can't say that (laughs) I just did didn't you hear me my point is it's the truth that sets you free so in marriages thank God that I've been able to go into a home where in fact one of those cases which I didn't mention on Sunday the guys in this corner that marriage was completely and utterly deceased it was over it was finished completely um, and that's one of the few times in my life that I actually had nothing to say and nothing to do I didn't have an answer and as I sat with them in the room I sent an SOS up to God because they were telling me they're going to get divorced. And I was looking at them saying, yeah, that's right, you are. And I haven't got an answer for you guys. And so I prayed right there, and this is what happened. This book dropped into my spirit. The whole thing. I, and I transformed before their eyes. They looked and they knew you've received something. Something's just happened to you. And I started to talk like motor mouth, this stuff. I couldn't wait to leave so I could start writing that down. Do you know, just that second was enough for them not to get divorced. But God was here. God was here. I saw that. Something happened here. And I wrote that very quickly. That was the second year of their marriage. On their 10th anniversary, the husband sent me a text message saying, I want to say thank you to you because if you had not come, we would not have been together. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I say that because of this. In that marriage, I had to say, you were sleeping together before you got married. You were off. You were wrong. He has no leadership ability. You've married the wrong person. Right? This was wrong in the beginning. You didn't seek God. You were crazy people. But now you're married, you're married. So the place to start is by going back and telling the truth. Tell the truth. I shouldn't have married you. And confess that out of your mouth for the first time. The other thing that the girl needed to say was, I could have married better than you. Because that's what was in her mind. I just said it for her. (laughs) You think you could have married better than him. That's the truth of this relationship. And these two truths have to be spoken. Because it is the truth that... Yeah. And they are still now happily married today. Because that's what it takes in skill. Like I was saying on Sunday about mentorship. Don't follow people who pretend to be mentors. And they don't know what they're doing. They want to have the image. It's popular to pray for people so they have babies. And then tell everybody that you prayed so that you look good. It's popular to make yourself look good as a marriage counsellor when you're actually playing games and you don't have the ability. This is not a game. I I take this immensely seriously. Immensely. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of work. And waiting on God and study. And then on top of that, the willingness to tell the truth. Many people can't do that. They can't do that. They haven't got the anointing for it. 
So yes, I will continue to say that there are all types of marriages. Some that should never have happened, but now that they've happened, we're going to go back and tell the truth about that, and then we're going to try and make it work. But if you bury that lie, you can't live with that. It's just going to keep on coming up like a cycle, and eventually you'll split. Okay? There's bad marriages, good marriages, all types of marriages. I did have one other slide, which was one other. My conclusion, and we do need to finish. Sorry, wow, the time has gone. My, my conclusion is this here. Your marriage choice should be complementary, not supplementary. What I mean by that is, they remember step one, step two, step three, step four? They were finding someone to supplement within themselves what was lacking in God, the things they can only get from God. But I should not be saying, you make me whole. Uh-uh. Christ is my all in all. And it is a warning sign. It's called codependency. It's a warning sign in a relationship when you are needing that person in the wrong way. My marriage partner should complement who I am, where I'm going in the vision. So my vision, for, does that make sense? Yeah. You get that? I, for me, that is a critically important point for a healthy, wholesome marriage that works for both people. And finally, let me conclude with this. It should work both ways. I have seen some marriages or some people coming because they want to get engaged, and I look at it and I think, well, do you know what? This is really good for him, <laughs> but it's not so good for her. Or this is really good for her, but it's not so good for him. And so a, a marriage that's God-ordained, God-sent, should ultimately bring both people along a good path and be equally, mutually benef beneficial. All right? Yeah. Do you know what, girls? We talk to the women... Find a man that you can serve. Find a man you can serve. Someone who you see God is, is working in, using, whether it's in business, whether he's in the world. Find someone that you can serve and devote your life to because that's what you were made for. The man was made to lead. And modern society has, because men have failed, we have so many women leaders. And I admire them. I'm with you 100%. You have my highest respect. But don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck in masculine energy. Amen. Because you have had to give up certain things of your femininity in order to do what the men didn't do. And a masculine woman is not attractive. And you need to claim that back. You need to go back and get it. You need to consciously think, what parts of me have I lost? What do I need to go back and get? I said this to a very close person to me, very close to me, who husband walked out on her. You have to tell the truth. <laughs> and she had become very strong because she had many kids, very strong. And... He was gone about six months or whatever, and I had my first serious time one-to-one -one with her. 
And with great pain, she said, help, what should I do? And that was my point to her. Stop being a mum. You're going to have to be somebody's fiance. And you're exuding mum. Stop being the leader. Men love the damsel in distress. Men, lo- We're programmed. All the woman's got to do is start crying. And he's off. You've got him. <laughs> okay? Men are programmed for that. They're not so programmed for the strong woman. Not so... Right? You're actually going to repel there because he thinks in his mind, where's my role? I'm not going to be fulfilled with you. You're too dominant. And I, I add to that, I am totally in support of female leadership. I have no problem with it. I've had female leaders all my life in VFC. Don't join this church if you don't agree with that because they're everywhere in Singapore. It never bothered me at all. Rick is very wise. He chooses great women to be my leaders and I have zero issue with that. So it's not, I'm not, this is not a, chauvinistic thing at all. My wife was incredibly happy. If you described one thing that would describe her, it would be joyful. She was full of joy. But that woman had one thing on her agenda. Serve me. I was born for this. I am made for this. And that set her free. And many people over the years would say to me, you must be a really good husband. And I I became good. But the root of her being a very happy person was not my husbandry. It was her great wisdom that the true fulfillment of her life was in the servanthood of a man. So, back to the beginning. God made Adam with vision. Remember? The man? (laughs) Vision. But not the capability of achieving it. So God made the Ezer Konegdo one of superior strength to help the man. And you can get as trendy and as fashionable and modern as you want, but the fundamental female trait of supporting a man is buried within you. And your actual fulfillment is in finding it. Finding someone that you respect enough that you can become yourself. It's not a competition. You've become what God put you on this earth to be. When we come back, we'll, 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 we'll flip through these sheets one by one. And you can ask questions. Our time is severely gone. But let's break for lunch, I think, right now. God bless you. I'll hand over to Pat. Do you want to? Thank you, Pastor. Wow, so much to take in. Thank you, Pastor. Lunch is coming.